Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, April 12, 2022, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-host for the evening, Anastasia. Lavendar is out of town on assignment tonight, but she'll be back for the next show, which will be April 26th. And then after our May quest, the next Starseed quest will be August 12th through the 15th, and those invitations are going to be going out right after the May quest. So uh, watch for yours. Our special guest this evening is Dahlia Brown-Shook, who is the owner and CEO of Holistic Medical Healing. She is a brain mastery specialist and psychic healer who uses a multidimensional approach to healing with diverse training for mind, body, spirit integration. Dahlia is a bridge to the science and the spiritual modalities. She teaches you how to balance and liberate yourself from ways that are holding you back and how to regulate your nervous system so that the person with a sensitive system can feel safe in their body, thrive, and heal beyond self-imposed limiting boundaries. Some of her professional training includes board-certified occupational therapist, certified integrative medicine for mental health, trauma specialist, holistic health coach, and self-regulation specialist. She offers clients radical transformations for higher health through higher spirituality. Teaching people to activate their own inner healing capabilities, she helps to move people through challenges like self-sabotaging patterns, addictions, depression, anxiety, the hair pulling, skin picking, nail biting, eating disorders, you name it. The whole body healing is a puzzle, and Dahlia puts those pieces together to offer her clients quantum healing beyond the healthcare model. And you can visit her website, which is holisticmedicalhealing.com. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to starseeds not heard in the mainstream. I want to ask you if you have starseed children or grandchildren, and are you constantly trying to get them off the screens? I know it's a big problem for many, so I've written a book to help children want to put the phone down and reconnect with Mother Nature by understanding the animal guides of Native America. It's called Magical Messages from the Animal Kingdom, and it's on Amazon. And if you just type R.E.L. Taylor in the search bar, you'll get right to it. We'd like to thank Kathy, Jada, and Fiona for hosting the switchboard tonight for those who may have a question or comment for our guest. Our main website is starseedhotline.com, and the Stage 1 Starseed Confirmations are based on Lavendar's Discovery of Star Markings and your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one Zoom session available with Anastasia, Emerald, Miara, Riley, or myself. Uh, Lavendar has now retired from doing sessions so she can finish her book and continue writing for Starseeds. And remember, if you have a birthday coming up, you're going to get a window of 10 hours of power with your manifestational abilities a thousand times stronger than any other time of year. So you can find out exactly when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. And that uh, running that chart usually takes less than a week. So first up this evening, I want to get back to my screen here, I want to introduce 
Anastasia, if I can find you on the switchboard, where did you go? Uh-oh. Doesn't look like Anastasia. Oh, there she is. Okay. <laughs> right there you go. Okay. Uh, with This is, okay, we back up again. Anastasia with the Starseed News. <laughs> well, good evening, everybody. It's a, it's a major miracle that I was able to get with you this evening. I have had so much te- technical difficulty, I haven't even had a chance to get myself pulled together here. The mouse oh, my gosh, we were just talking about that. Up. Yeah, oh we were just goodness. talking about that. It's like Mercury's retrograde. With a vengeance. Even though it's not. I, I don't know what's going on. I know. It's crazy. Anyway, hello, everybody. Players, I'm happy maybe? to be with you. What? Well, we're happy yeah. that you're here. <clears throat> Great. All right. Well, let me take a deep breath here, <laughs> and we'll get started. We have a bit of news tonight. I will tell you this has been a period, a two-week period. I hate to say it, but good news has been hard to come by. So I have done a lot of work to try to bring you what we've got tonight. That doesn't mean it's not out there. It's just hard to find it. All right, well, this is some really good news on the environment, and that is about solar panels. And, you know, the problems with those solar panels often is finding sunlight. Well, they have invented something wonderful. Um, And in in this case, when we think of doing the impossible, people tell us it's magical thinking. And sometimes uh, science just hasn't found answers. But in the case of solar panels, uh, we never think of using them at night. It's proven impossible in the past, but now an engineering team from Stanford University has developed solar cells that can draw power at night in the dark, sunshine not necessary. That's probably called them, I don't know, lunar cells, but it's not about the moon, actually. And while this solar cell can draw only a small amount of energy during the night, the development offers the potential for solar panels that are always on and always drawing energy. The key here is a thermoelectric generator that can take energy from the small difference in temperature between the ambient air and the solar cell itself. It has nothing to do with the moon. It has to do with the temperature of the air versus the temperature of the solar cell. Uh, the Stanford team reports that their approach can provide nighttime standby lighting and power in an off-grid application where solar energy is gaining popularity. So this has tremendous implications for the future. This is a brand new development. Give it a little while and watch what else they can do. I think that's incredible. Yeah, that's great. Really awesome. So there that is. And (laughs) monkeys, monkey see, monkey do. They always tell us that little old cute saying. I think a lot of us have a fascination with monkeys. I remember as a child I really wanted a monkey for a pet because (laughs) monkeys are kind of like people. And like people, we've discovered that monkeys like their alcohol. And, you know, human beings have this long social history with alcohol. Well, studies have shown that alcohol metabolizing systems appeared in the primate ancestors long before humans ever existed, between 7 and 21 million years ago. That's how long primates have been consuming alcohol. How? I'm going to tell you how. (laughs) Researchers from California State University have released a new study on this amazing topic that supports the drunken monkey hypothesis. They concluded that the animal's alcoholic tendencies came about because of the nutritional values of, of course, 
fermented fruit. They think that monkeys drink for their health. The study focused on the behavior of black-handed spider monkeys from Panama, and it studied the properties of discarded eaten fruit the primates leave behind. Now, the alcohol concentration was between 1% to 2% by volume in that food created as a natural byproduct of fermenting yeast. Urine samples of the monkeys revealed the metabolites of alcohol and proved the animals were processing the ethanol rather than just letting it pass through their bodies untouched. The ethanol was doing something for the monkeys. And they discovered that the consumption of fruit with higher levels of alcohol increases the calories ingested and, of course, results in more energy available to the animal. Scientists have also suggested that there may be an antimicrobial benefit to that diet, and the pre-digested nature of the food could also save energy for the monkey during digestion. We all know it takes energy to digest our food. That's why when you supposedly have cabbage soup, <clears throat> excuse me, you burn more calories than are in the cabbage because the digestion takes energy. So the uh, author's uh, uh, lead person said, for the first time we've been able to show without a shadow of a doubt that wild primates with no human interference consume fruit-containing ethanol. This is just one study, but it looks like there may be some truth to that drunken monkey hypothesis that the tendency of humans to consume alcohol comes from the instinctual attraction that fruit-eating primates have for ethanol-filled, overripe fruit. And some species of primates have been shown to consume fruit with an alcohol content of up to 8%. Now, researchers say the animals probably aren't getting drunk because their stomachs would most likely be full before they could eat enough alcohol to make them drunk. But the university study adds a new dimension to the source of alcohol in primate diets, saying that human ancestors may also have preferentially selected ethanol-laden fruit for consumption, given that it has more calories, which are essential for survival, and an evolutionary disposition toward alcohol is something that might impact future treatments of its addiction. So there you go. And who knew? from South Africa. Yeah, who knew? Right. <laughs> uh, hey, have you ever taken, actually, when I think about it, particularly with pears or maybe plums, uh, fruit that tends to get quite soft, even to some extent oranges, if you get a bad piece of fruit that's just on the edge, uh, you can actually pick up a little bit of an alcoholic or fermented flavor. I'll bet some of you have had that happen. Although I didn't know it was alcohol in the making, but it was. Even in your fruit bowl, that can happen. <clears throat> wow. Well, there is a plan underway to save the rhinos. Now, years of poaching has pushed South Africa's black, ry ry black rhinos to the brink of extinction. Well, now a conservation initiative launched by the World Bank, of all things, brings the strategies of high finance to wildlife conservation in the form of a $150 million rhino bond. The bank is getting into this. Now, this is a specific finance bond that will fund rhino protection and investors are promised a return on their money if and only if the rhino population grows. After five years, they will receive their initial investment back, which then would be covered by donors. If numbers drop, investors could lose their money. 
Well, the plan presents a new approach to conservation financing because what it does is it passes the risk to investors and allows the donors to pay only for successful conservation outcomes. Interesting. It remains to be seen as to what extent investors will be willing to take the risk. Now, the Zoological Society of London, which helped develop the bond, hopes their program will be a watershed moment for wildlife conservation. So we shall see. It's a creative uh, initiative if it works. It could really benefit conservation programs if investors decide they want to go for that. I hope they do. Me well, too. we've had a we've had newly discovered animals on our planet Earth, and here's an odd thing, guys. Well, there's a blind eel, and it is among the new species that scientists introduced to the world this week. And the coincidence with this, a most peculiar coincidence. It was the, they named it the Mumbai blind eel, and it was found in a well at a school for blind children in India. Isn't that interesting? Wow. The blind eel discovered in a well, a water well, at a school for blind children in India. Well, uh, they also discovered some 212 uh, underwater, excuse me, freshwater species of fish previously undiscovered. They, they revealed and identified those. And other notable discoveries include a fish with a visible brain and a killer stingray. And they say that new species are pieces of the evolutionary puzzle we did not know existed, and they attest to the incredible mystery of life on planet Earth. There are many wow. more yet to discover. Isn't that something? Yeah. You sometimes wonder if new species aren't even evolving, some of these may be ancient. Some of them may be evolving as the planet's response to extinctions. You know, some some animals go out and new ones come in. One just has to wonder. And in Africa, drought-prone countries have gotten some good news. They have discovered that there is enough groundwater under the African continent for most countries there to survive at least five years of drought. And this is according to research by Water Aid and the British Geolo uh, Geological Society. However, the study also revealed that underinvestment in services to get the water out of the ground means that millions of people don't have enough safe, clean water to meet their basic needs. They said our findings debunk the myth that Africa is running out of water. Not so. There are vast reserves of water right under people's feet. Tapping into it would ensure millions have access to safe, clean water no matter what the climate crisis throws at them. So they need to be innovative and get some investors there uh, to get the water out of the ground. That would be excellent. It would be nice if people would do it and not ask for any returns on investment. There's plenty of people, let's say, going into space, you know, people with billions, uh -huh. kajillions of dollars launching rockets to have a, you know, a joy ride. Let's give some of that money to discovering or getting water out of the ground in Africa. Oh, that's what I say, anyway. Here's a story that's just amazing. A man has won 200 million euros. That's a lot of money. 200 million. That's how much an anonymous Frenchman, we don't know his name, well, he won it in the Euro Millions jackpot lottery last week. And he gave almost the sum total 
towards the preservation of tropical rainforest in West Africa, as well as for the sustenance of the forest in his own native country. He gave it away. The lottery winner moved to establish an endowment fund for the protection and revitalizations of forests, the preservation and regenera regeneration of biodiversity, and the support of family caregivers. In an open letter to the public on his endowment fund's website, he explained his reasons for playing the lottery. He said, I only played during large jackpots for one purpose, to devote most of this sum to the creation of a foundation and the saving of the forests. He said, during my life, I have witnessed the incessant passage of trucks loaded with trees cut in the forests of my home. This filled him with indignance and concern for the natural environment, and he went on to say, above all, giving this money for this cause is a way I can show my conviction that giving makes people happy and constitutes a tremendous lever for transforming indignation into concrete and useful actions. Now, this was the second largest jackpot in the Euro Lottery's history. The winner is known to be a retiree in the south of France who wants to spread the message that humans can preserve the natural environment if we want to, and that giving makes people more happy than having. Wow. I don't know how many big jackpots are won around the world every day. But imagine people taking what they need, you know, just what they need, and giving the rest to all of the causes <clears throat> that would make the planet heal. Here's well. somebody who did it. A story that is just incredible, depending on who you are and what your attitudes are. Some people will scoff and complain about the waste of money, and others are going to go, awesome. So I'm going to tell you about it. It's a bridge. It's being built in Los Angeles, and it's a bridge to help humans and lions coexist. What? That sounds like gibberish. Well, we're talking about mountain lions here, and I'll get on with the story. Now, the only major western city that's home to lions is Los Angeles, and they're breaking new ground in infrastructure designed specifically for big wildlife, although smaller wildlife will definitely benefit. And the reason they're doing that is because mountain lions are sort of encroaching on people's property, or perhaps people's property is encroaching on mountain lions. But they tell us that recently someone they call Hollywood's loneliest bachelor just shocked another unsuspecting woman by leaping over her fence in Beechwood Canyon at the cusp of dawn, and then leisurely checking out her barbecue for leftovers. It's not a two-legged guy. Uh, the security camera caught him as he crouched atop her gate, his yellow eyes and well-defined chest muscles shining in the floodlights before he disappeared back into the dark. It's a mountain lion. His name is P-22. He's a muscular alpha male mountain lion. The honey-colored cougar has been living alone for the last 10 years in Griffith Park in Los Angeles, within sight of the Hollywood sign, but isolated from potential dating partners because there is a buzzing 405 and 101 freeway in his, in his, uh, in his way. The lion cannot find a partner. He is cut off. Uh, they tell us that he is trying to make that trek across two major freeways, 
and it's a feat that no other cougar has ever accomplished. Well, they tell us that soon that death-defying stunt will no longer be necessary. For his upcoming 12th birthday, P-22, who is a famous mountain lion in that area, as you can tell, will receive an eye-popping gift, the biggest wildlife overpass in the world. In the United States, over a 1,000 wildlife crossings help animals navigate the human-built world, allowing them to bypass hazardous infrastructure like highways, train tracks, and aqueducts. But less than two dozen of these are overpasses, and, mostly are in, and most of these are in rural areas. LA's new infrastructure will be a groundbreaking test case, a wildlife crossing designed to help big cats thrive in an urban environment. They're scheduling this construction to start this spring. The wildlife crossing will tra traverse the 101 freeway just west of Los Angeles. It's going to cost a whopping $88 million. Yes, it's a costly bridge. But advocates say it's absolutely necessary to maintain the unusual habitat that is Los Angeles, a city where large wild animals and people coexist in close proximity. Los Angeles is the only major city in the Western Hemisphere that is home to lions. The only other metropolis in the world with big cats is Mumbai. Now, thousands of hikers go through uh, Griffith Park every year. They may not be aware that a nearby puma might be watching them from the bushes or the trees. In theory, the roughly 160,000 acres of the Santa Monica Mountains recreation area make an ideal big cat habitat. The world's largest urban wilderness stretches from the Hollywood Hills all the way to the Pacific Coast in Malibu. Yet the terrain is divided by four freeways, lethal barriers for wildlife, and hemmed in by the ocean to the west, the 101 to the north and east, and urban sprawl in multiple directions. About a dozen mountain lions currently live in the Santa Monica Mountains, and each year a few are killed by cars or in territorial clashes with each other, sparked by the crowded quarters. They don't have enough room. Inbreeding is also a growing problem. They're having genetic defects because, well, they need to find other mates. Also, there are cars and uh, pesticides or uh, poisons meant to kill rodents uh, are also causing the death of the mountain lions. They say without the wildlife overpass, mountain lions in Los Angeles are predicted, predicted to be extinct in the near future. Now, P-22, P like Paul, 22, is the only cougar that has managed to breach the city's freeways and roam even further into the heart of Los Angeles. This distinction has made this mountain lion an emblem of Angelino's coexistence with wildlife, as well as a model of animal resilience, despite the urban sprawl encroaching into his natural habitat. And because he has not dared to cross the 101 again, he now occupies the smallest territory ever recorded for a mountain lion, a mere nine square miles in Griffith Park. Now, they tell us that California is the only U.S. state in which hunting mountain lions is illegal. And most Angelinos are surprisingly tolerant or even fond of these predators. Occasionally, a P-22 will venture into, or P-22, this one lion, ventures into somebody's yard and has mistaken a poodle for a meal on occasion. Once he sneaked into the L.A. Zoo and took apart a koala, yet the city refuses to issue a kill permit. 
In fact, after P22 nearly died of mange after ingesting the uh, mouse poison in 2014, the city even banned rodent poisons for homeowners. And a few years ago, when a Malibu resident did manage to get a shooting permit after a different mountain lion killed some alpacas, thousands of locals demonstrated in support of the lions. So, apex predators like pumas act as ecological brokers, a recent study found, and play an outsized role for the health and biodiversity of their territories. These considerations were what compelled the California Wildlife Board to allocate nearly $25 million for the bridge. And then a whole bunch of money came in from whole, a whole lot of other donors. Even a child, children are sending their pocket money. Aww. Well, they tell us that, uh, yeah, uh, major wildlife crossings in other states um, have been considerable challenges. But they've never tried ever to do it before such a busy, over a busy freeway. There's light, there's noise pollution. Um, they get 350,000 cars a day that pass by there. They say that this is, uh, they're going to have to make this look less like an overpass and more like a wide, wide parkway lushly adorned with carefully selected native plants and trees. It will not be concrete. Now, while P-22 might be the most prominent face of the Save the Cougars campaign, he's not the only one that can use this bridge. The experts tell us that the entire Santa Monica mountain ecosystem has been cut off. We're seeing genetic diversity diminishing across all flora and fauna. Coyotes, rabbits, toads, birds, butterflies are going to benefit from this bridge. They tell us that for a bird, 10 lanes of traffic are pretty daunting to cross. Research shows that they change their flight paths to fly over vegetation. They tell us that we might not think of butterflies, but butterflies are getting slaughtered on the 101. The bridge is about alleviating suffering for the animals, all of them, not just the mountain lions. And construction on this project is expected to be finished by 2025, three years. Wow. Now these are human beings coming together yes. with love in their hearts and recognition of the importance of other beings. Great. Great story. And by the way, you can look up P-22. You can Google him. What a magnificent animal. He is beautiful. Check it out. And our final story for tonight. Richmond Animal Shelter gets 400 requests for puppy snuggle sessions. Yep, they're offering puppy snuggle sessions. This Richmond Animal Shelter received more than 400 requests for snuggle sessions with seven Pyrenees puppies after offering the chance for folks to forget about the worries of the world. <clears throat> after two years of COVID, social upheaval, and now a war, we think we could all use a little puppy cuddle time, according to the Richmond Animal Care and Control Director. So that's just what we're offering. All day Sunday, you can sign up for 30 minutes in a room to kiss these love buckets until your heart and soul is happy. <laughs> Officials said the pups, which all now have pending adoptions, were tasked with a very special job to hug you and make you happy. She said, these sweet angel cake puppies are magic, puffy, fluffy goodness stuffed with rainbows and sunshine. If you (laughs) hug them even for a few minutes, you will forget about the worries of the world. 
Officials said priority was given to first responders and healthcare professionals, as well as anyone who recently lost a loved one suffering from a broken heart or depression or anxiety. Less than six hours after launching this social media post, officials said they got more than 400 applications. In a live video Sunday morning, 50 wonderful people in need to heal their hearts were booked for the private hug room sessions. Now, officials have promised, because of the wonderful response, that they will do the same with other litters of puppies in the future. You ever seen a Pyrenees puppy? You can Google that, too. They are absolutely yummy. So, and you know, really actually just thinking about hugging those puppies can make you happy. All you have to do is just think about it, and it makes you smile inside. And speaking of hearts and love and hugs, from my heart to each one of you, everybody, it's great to be with you tonight. Thank goodness we got together, and I wish to wish you all a beautiful week, a beautiful couple of weeks. Take care, everyone. Spread the love. Spread the goodness. Live your light. Thank you, Arielle. We'll see you next time. Uh, thank you so much, Anastasia. Great stories tonight. And uh, we'll be back um, talking to you again in two weeks. You bet. Good night. Okay. Good night. Okay. And now I am going to open up your mic, Dahlia. Just give me a second. Dahlia, welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you were able to make it. Hi. Thank you so much for having me and inviting me on. Well, we had a, a really great conversation um, last week, and and I knew that you would you have so much um, to offer that I wanted to um, help have you on. So um, I would like to just kind of start off, um, if you would, and um, and talk about when you were when you were growing up. You know how did how did how did your your you know growing up get you onto this track? Oh, that's such a really deep and good question, and I won't go too off track. Um, So it's really not a mistake that I have moved into holistic healing. And my journey, well, my journey on this lifetime began in the sense that very happy birth, and that's where I have to start, within the first um, 12 months, it was pretty typical, but then at 12 months, I experienced a trauma, and this trauma led me down um, getting, uh, going into the hospital, into the ICU, getting hospitalized, actually stopped breathing, and my nervous system, in a way, likely, well, there was a trauma that happened uh, because of all of this, and my uh, brain and body found a beautiful way to self-soothe, which was hair pulling. And so I started that as a baby. And then that seemed to, you know, help me find my soothing coping mechanisms. But because of all of, because of I stopped breathing, I stopped talking, because I had gone backwards a little bit in those developmental milestones, it led me down a path of being delayed and having a learning disability. And and my father is a retired neurologist. And so everything was always brain related for me growing up. And there was always a lot of support. But I went through 
getting diagnosed with anxiety and depression. And later on in life, when I had another trauma, um, I ended up pulling out all my hair in a matter of six months, not knowing what I was doing uh, and not knowing that what I was doing had a name to it. But, you know, when I back up a little bit and I think back to the, like, that's the very physical, emotional side. When I think back to the very spiritual side there's a genealogy on in the women in my family of being very spiritual. And at 15 years old, there was one of my first experiences of floating when I was trying to meditate. And, and it's interesting because I always picked up in a way the, the magic side. And I always went into the creative aspects of expressing myself because of my difficulty with speaking, but in my experience in life on this, you know, in this journey, it was very traumatizing because I went through the traditional medical healthcare route of being a patient and being told over and over and over that I would need to be on medication, that even though, you know, my I say in air quotes, like my depression was managed with medication and the regular typical therapy, it wasn't enough for me to actually be happy. And it wasn't until I went back and got my degree in occupational therapy and my master's degree and started learning about the brain, the nervous system, nutrition, trauma, sensory integration that I was like, wow, what if what I'm experiencing is actually in a way more than what traditional healthcare wants to label me as? And which has led me down this path of getting off of my meds, doing some gut healing, getting trained in gut healing, and really leaning into all of the healing modalities that can be accessible. What I've learned, so it's, I like to say that I have like both sides of it in the sense of I was a patient in the mental health traditional system. And and saw the pitfalls. And then I also say that I was, you know, a treating occupational therapist for a variety of conditions and also saw those pitfalls. And, and then leading me into, or really out of the traditional healthcare field into coaching in holistic healing. Because when I work with clients, they experience the same kind of healing that I have been able to experience in myself. And the clients that seem to come to me are individuals who are highly, they have sensitive nervous systems. And now it's interesting because those sensitivities I know are because we are also star seeds and have so much accessibility beyond what, I think traditional studies teach us, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, star seeds. That was a are, lot, but yeah, <laughs> star seeds. Yeah, well, star seeds are 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 naturally more sensitive to energies. Right. That just that just comes with the package, and you know, if you've got your 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 parents or society or your peers trying to stuff you into a particular box. Um, it just you know starts like a snowball of of uh, erroneous 
um, teachings. Mm-hmm. Oh, you have to learn this. Oh, you have to learn that. Oh, you have to take this. And that's just, it's not for starseeds. Starseeds, you know. And I'm, I'm so glad that you have that that distinction that um, you understand that people that have more sensitivity, which include starseeds, they need a different modality. Mm-hmm. So, Very well um, put. Thank you. <laughs> so you have you have a lot of Western medicine training, you know, all the 3D uh, mm-hmm. certifications. I mean, so many that you have um, uh, under your belt. But I'm I'm kind of sensing that at some point you realized, like you said, there are pitfalls. So how do you how do you go from you know uh, you know 3D to the the more spiritual how uh, and I mean I think that you are the bridge but you had to I mean you had to form your own bridge first before you can lead other people across it so how did that happen how did it happen it's I feel like I could go in so many different directions uh, well honestly how it happened is something that is in my charts according to you which I absolutely loved that you were like the last two years I was literally uprooted from my old life of being in healthcare, of being very happy there by the way and managing and not even managing I mean I was like I've been I had already been off of my medications for over uh for probably up to like four years and lots of coping mechanisms all the right stuff everything that people tell us diet, lifestyle, exercise, attitude, nutrition, like all of it, and very accomplished individual in healthcare. I was uprooted uh, because I got married and I moved across the country to where my husband now lives. And uh, it's so funny. It's interesting because it's like, and then I was in a way dumped into a family dynamic with two new with two new stepkids where I was a full-time stepmom and and it although I had managed everything in the past I had not really been in situations where I guess the the deeper ancient wounds were then allowed to come up and they got triggered by this new by this environment by the new move by me choosing to move out of healthcare into the coaching realm. And, and I'm somebody who always shows up. And, and I started going through these anxiety, depression-like cycles. And, and I knew that there was something deeper there because it was, it was something that I couldn't put, like, my 3D finger on. And as I became more exposed to the, in a way, the mystical, the magical, the spiritual, the intuitive, I recognized and realized I started working with goddesses. And I, you know, I went back to the crystals and I went back to this, these intuitive gifts that I was drawn to as a teenager and then let go to the side because of the Western medical practice. I came back to this and I started, I became trauma trained 
And I realized and learned that, oh, my gosh, it's so, I can't even explain it. It was just the the revelations, the ahas, the confirmations that I received over and over and over as I started to really dive in to these, I'm going to say these ancient wounds, which then allowed my gifts that I had forgotten to come forth. And even part of this was me having to put my dog down. And I started doing light language on her at the end of last year. And I was, and she was a traumatized girl. She lived on the streets for four years and she was beautiful and brilliant and moved across the country with me. And her nervous system started to fragment and her past traumas came up. And I was, I was conducting light language on her and going into her Akashic records multiple times throughout the day in an attempt to heal her trauma as best as I could before I let her transition into her next purpose. And the more I healed trauma, the stronger my gifts came out. And I used these gifts with my clients and their results were unlike anything else I had seen in my practice. And so that's how it's happened. Wow, it was, yeah. But you had to get out of a familiar environment. I mean, you had yes. your pattern, you had your systems, you had your, you know, had everything all down pat. Mm-hmm. But it was down pat on top of, you know, a basement full of mystery, <laughs> mystery, mystery wounds. So, you, you, yeah, I mean, literally uprooted. And you just pull out of there and you get set down someplace else. You don't have that buffer of mm-hmm. your, um, you know, your systems. You know, when mm-hmm. I say that, it's like, okay, you know, I do this first thing in the morning and then I do that and then I go do this and then, and this is my, you know, the, my way. And when that gets, when that gets disintegrated, that's, you know, I mean, it makes perfect sense to me that, um, you know, and, and if you hadn't moved, you you might not have uncovered or recovered all of these gifts that you clearly had when you were a teenager. That is the truth. So, yeah. Um, so how do you how do you um, are, are you still developing the light language? Oh yes, I I actually use it on myself almost daily. I like to do it in the shower because it's just easy and kind of playful and fun. And uh, I, whenever I am going into one of my clients' Akashic records, if there is something, self, some self-sabotaging behaviors or belief patterns or something, when I go into their records, their soul records, uh, and there's some cords or a tie or something, you know, an oath from a past life or even this life, if something needs to be broken or healed I do use light language, and and it's uh, it's like magic. I, I can't explain it except that it's it, there's a power that allows the their attachment to whatever story is happening to start. Like I can see it, it's like it starts to like burn at the end, where it starts to disintegrate. And the words that always come out from my clients is. 
I feel more grounded and I feel lighter. It's like whatever we healed and removed was weighing them down like bricks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so, and do you feel like the, when you, um, you just kind of like spontaneously, the language comes, the light language comes through, or are you, are you using it more, you know, deliberately? Hmm. I always get a sense as to when the timing is right. And even still, I, you know, I'll be totally honest. I'm like, wait, should I, shouldn't I? Because there's, still that little bit of like being seen and being witnessed in this power of light language that sounds completely foreign. I mean, it is foreign. And, and I ignore that because my intuition is so strong. And I know that if I'm getting the energetic hit that they need it, then that is what is needed to happen for them. And some clients are just so open to it and uh, and they they absorb it and they hear it and they experience it, and and others are just like, wow, that's really different. <laughs> um, but it's when I'm in it, it's just spontaneous and it's just something it's something that gets channeled out of me. So um, I, I wanted to ask you about the when you when people come to you. Mm-hmm. Do you get a sense right away whether they're starseed or not, and does that guide how you talk to them? That's a great question. I have a couple of discovery calls tomorrow, and uh, and one of them I'm a little unsure of. I'm not sure. I don't know if if you know how in a way sensitive that she is. However, what I am realizing is that hands down. I would say almost every single client that comes my way has that sensitive energetic space within them. It's just that some of them don't necessarily realize it or even recognize it. And so to answer your question, I was working with a gentleman, a firefighter who was involved with 9-11 and and I know that he, it's like me, my attempt to balance out the femininity within him and, and he would tear up and then he would immediately close down to it. And so I think this is where also my training in, you know, the, the mental health realm also shows up because I can see when somebody is not open or willing. I don't just feel it energetically because I can feel what they're feeling, but then if they start to turn away, that's where we start to go in a different direction. And that's really yeah. in the support of the client, making sure that they are safe within their nervous system because I have, this has only happened once, and I was able to bring this woman back to me, but I started to see her uh, to dis- disassociate and she was starting to have a panic attack and and this was early in my practice and now I mean and 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 we worked through it so it really is a bit of a dance where it requires that sensitivity and I think that's why when I work with my clients it's so 
you know, and I didn't realize this until recently, how in a way supportive my practice is for people because it's not just the energetic space, but it's also the very tangible, I don't want to move anyone past, well, to past their comfort point. Because right. we want progress to be made. Right, right. Yeah, so you have to just nudge and nudge, you know, mm-hmm. incrementally. So when um, when people have experienced trauma um, in this lifetime, do they are they able to say, well, this happened to me, and that's where it all started? Or are there people that don't even know? It's like, I don't think I ever, do they just completely block it out? It's like, I haven't had any trauma. And, and then you can, say, you, know, you can say, well, um, you have, but it's hidden. I mean, is that a, a, a plausible scenario? Both of those are very plausible. There are many people that they think they know what their trauma is, and they are often right. At the same time, it's not usually just one trauma. Like there's big trauma, there's little traumas, and, and if there's a big trauma, people usually know it. At the same time, another, uh, another firefighter, actually, uh, it took him a while to identify the specific trauma in his job because they are, they are, I work with a lot of healthcare professionals, actually, uh, they are, um, they have so many, they have so many traumas in their face that they, beca- they get to become immune to it or numb to it. And so those individuals actually have like layers and layers of layers of healing that is really needed um, for the other group who they don't think they have any trauma. Um, there's always something there. And I don't always use, I, well, I often try to explain to the person how, I mean, a trauma can be as simple as going to the grocery store with, for example, your mother or your daughter and, and your daughter running off to the bathroom and not telling you. And you get that brief moment of, oh, no. Like, and it's, it's a, a, you know, it's like a mini freak out inside your head. That's traumatizing. And so people don't realize that literally being a human living on the planet, especially going through what we have just gone through and continue to go through, we're, I hate to say it, but it's like we're living in a world where there's lots of traumas happening. And people, many people realize it. Some people don't even realize it. And then they move into denial and then they end up getting sick and they go to the doctor to get a diagnosis when it's really unresolved emotional health struggles from the oh. simple act of being a human. Yeah. It, it's like, you know, people get, they get um, an accumulation. Mm-hmm. And if there are a bunch of little things, you know, like that, Oh no, you know, where, where's my child? Um, or, or you know, almost being in a car wreck, you know, just things like that. But th- I mean, those are things that you kind of like a bump in the road, and you move on. 
but they do they I mean they collect and they and they layer on each other until a whole bunch of little ones are um, expressing themselves in some anomalous behavior uh, you know people that that keep getting into bad relationships people that that are never happy in, in their um, occupation uh, I mean I'm sure the, the, the list is endless on mm-hmm. the result because it doesn't always come out in a in a recognizable way oh I'm doing this because of that People just, I mean, they just don't know. So is there, um, could you give some um, very typical, I mean, there, you, you right. did go over some of things that people do that they don't realize they're doing, you know, nail biting and, you know, skin picking and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But, I mean, what, what are some other common things that people might do? Um, and is it really kind of like a like a pressure release valve? You know, they you know they bite their nails because of there's something that that needs to be mitigated, and that's how they do it. Do you understand what so, the question I'm trying? To... Well, so I, I hear two different questions. One is more about like the nail biting behaviors, and the other one is just about some of the generic behaviors we engage in, or the generic ways that in that like trauma manifests. Okay. So I'll go to the simplest one first. So the way that I like what you said, like the, uh, um, it was like the accumulation effect, right? Um, mm-hmm. When we are experiencing, I mean, just so many different things uh, that, you know, people don't even realize, but the way that it presents in those most basic forms are things like, not being able to go to sleep at night or sleeping too much and not wanting to get out of bed or when you are engaging in conversation with coworkers or uh, in your relationships with your family or your friends and somebody says something that makes you in your head either start to second guess yourself or re- or where you get like angry. I mean, those are just some real basic ways that something has happened in your past that is causing you to react in a way that you wouldn't typically react. And I've seen this a lot recently, especially since COVID, is people's fuses are shorter. And so some other great examples are when you've had a conversation with somebody and you keep replaying it over and over and over in your head, either wishing you said something different or did you say something right or did you say something wrong or did something you say like affected them. I mean, that's, it's like that perseveration. It's that repeated going over and over and over in your head. There's something to that. And I don't think people realize that it's coming from a place of oftentimes childhood or past relationships where you were either told that you weren't good enough or that you need you weren't um, worthy of being heard or listened to. It's usually coming from one of those places. It's and then it can continue to manifest in ways such as not treating your body right, or overeating, or getting stuck in that you know the scroll hole 
on social media where you're zoning out. So there's a difference between looking at your, for example, social media for a few minutes and engaging with some friends on there or, you know, really like gathering some like, oh, this is a, you know, interesting new habit that I want to try and work on in the next 30 days. I'm going to save that versus are you just looking to zone out and then going into possible like comparison mode? So a lot of this work is bringing awareness as to what you're bringing to the table and why you are engaging in the behaviors that you're engaging. Why do you feel the need to go spend more money than you earn and buy lots of things and have them delivered to you? You know, for me, you get a dope, not for me, but like in the brain, you get a dopamine hit every single time you're like, purchase. And then it comes to the door within the next like 48 hours and you're like, yes, I got that thing. But that thing didn't actually satisfy that spot in your being that is needing either like love or attention or movement, or hydration, right? Um, right, right. Right. So that's that's one side of it. The what? Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, but finish your thought. Well, no, I was I was going to talk about like the the hair pulling or the skin picking or nail biting, and that's definitely like a different thing. So if there was something that you wanted to say. It's probably a good time. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I was as, as I was listening, I was seeing the you know always in starseed terms. Mm-hmm. So if if you're if you're a starseed, whether you know it or not, and the I mean the world can be really harsh, and you escape into like social media, mm-hmm. and then you know starseeds they they have this kind of a a lot of star seeds at some point they want to be accepted they want to fit in they they don't want to be different from everybody but they mm-hmm. are different so that's when you said about comparisons um star seeds kind of get the the double whammy cuz you're you know you're more sensitive in the first place and in order to gain that approval you know you can give away your powers you can put your abilities in a in a you know drawer someplace uh, because you want to fit in and you don't maybe when you know star seeds are younger you know kids at school or even family and it's like you know you're weird or you're you know so something about you that that freakish you know mm-hmm. and and so then they 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 just seem to quest after. Um, being appearing normal and that you know so that that comparison um that can that can lead you in all kinds of problems because star seeds are unique you can't compare yourself to anybody i love having conversations with you (laughs) (laughs) uh, you know it's you you hit so many of those nails on the head and and i see so many of those those same things, those parallels in my life growing up in the sense that, and I see this with especially the younger generation that I work with and the older generation, like they're still dealing with actually some of those traumas of trying to fit in as a young child or a teenager and knowing that they were different but didn't have the 
vocabulary or awareness to either embrace their uniqueness or or honor it. And so you're absolutely right. Like it would literally get shoved into a drawer and and then you put on this mask of who you think you're supposed to be. And it doesn't ever feel right because it's actually not right. And and I'll tell you, one of the programs I have, it's called, um, uh, well, it's Superpower for Kids. And so I work with, also, I have a program for kids and parents. And a lot of these girls, it's based around these girls who either uh, pull their hair, pick their skin, bite their nails, and... And they're all, they're all starseeds. They're all sensitive. They all have sensitive nervous systems and are sensitive to the energies around them. And, and these, this population of the kids that I work with, it's like they're between really 12 to about 19. And to have someone in your court supporting your journey and telling you how amazing you are and, and for me, allowing them to see their gifts within and using magic and, um, and crystals and nature and these gifts that they bring them to the life. However, they didn't know how powerful they were for them. And watching Specifically, this group of uh, this population expand beyond what they thought was possible for them is absolutely breathtaking to watch because they are all star seeds. And that's what I've realized, um, which leads me, you know, so I also work with the adults uh, with just emotional health, you know, the different things that we have talked about. I think. Many starseeds look for something outside of themselves to quiet their uniqueness because they don't, because they're scared to be seen. And, and I know for me, way back when, my path led me down alcohol and drugs, and I now know it was to quiet like all of those messages that I was receiving from my guides and my spirit team that now I embrace and just listen to and follow to the best of my ability. But back then, it was just noisy. Right. And you think there's something wrong with you rather than you have a gift. Right. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, children that are are people that were born after 2000 and and ongoing um, they've got more strands of DNA there's a um, and this is I mean through Lavendar's work and research that um, there is an evolutionary change or shift as a new root race is being created and this root race is going to have more strands of DNA they're going to carry more light, then that's to star seeds, and and you know having that uh, different motivation, different natural gifts, and and it's up to them to c- 
create a better future than our generation did. You know, um, and they've got to be they've got to be honored. And parents that you know, but would you talk about um, children who have maybe uh, you know exceptional abilities, higher mm-hmm. sensitivity, and and they are uh, misdiagnosed, you know, oh. ADHD. Uh, what would you say to those parents? Oh, reach out to me. Find a professional who can support them, the parent and the child together, which is what I do in my program, because you can't just work with the child and hope that everything works out. Like you have to have the parent on board. Uh, well, so that's, that's part of what happened for me. When I went and got my master's degree and one of my first continuing education courses was all about sensory processing and sensory defensiveness and the neurological systems for self-regulation, I started learning all about the brain and the nervous system and the sensory nervous system, and I promise I am getting to your question and answering it, when I was learning all about this, the descriptions, it was obvious, and they even say this, uh, that many times children and adults get misdiagnosed with labels such as ADD, ADHD, depression, anxiety, oppositional defiant disorder. I mean, even autism, because it looks like one thing, but here's the, here's the answer, one answer. Diagnosticians and the healthcare system are required to follow the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistics Manual. If it is not, they can only diagnose with the items inside that book, the very big book. ADHD is in there, you know, um, ADD is in there, depression, anxiety, conditions that are in there can get diagnosed. And most parents are so honestly exhausted and scared for their children that they go to what they think they should go to, which is the medical system, and get a diagnosis. And the, the challenge and the problem and I won't go too far onto this, is that, you know, with that diagnosis comes a label, comes an expected way of living, and comes a prescription medication that then affects these children's ability to process and interact with the world around them. And, and so they, these children end up going down a path that actually, for some, they need it. I am not going to say that medicine does not have a place. I do not want anyone to quote me on that. Uh, For some, it is needed. For others, there are so many other solutions that the healthcare system just is not trained to identify and say, hey, you know, like, for example, I sell a vegan omega that has cognitive... um, frontal lobe cognitive processes in the research showing that it makes those uh, parts of your brain work better. And so it's like, you know, if there's a parent that is coming to me and we're working with their child or themselves, you know, with ADD or ADHD, the very first thing I'm going to ask about is their sleep and their nutrition and their supplementation. 
And those are rarely the first things that a physician will ask. And so it's really looking at the other. That's why my business is called Holistic Medical Healing. It's combining all of it. And then even, and this is something you and I talked about, with these children, oh, my gosh, turn off your Internet at night. Turn off the routers. Do the EMF blockers because these individuals, doesn't matter what age you are, are highly sensitive. And I have worked with kids with autism, and the families start, well, doing a lot of different things, but one of them is, you know, turning off the, the routers, and, um, and it makes a world of difference. And it's not just one thing that makes a world of difference. It is a lot of things. And that's where, you know, in the, the bio, you talked about how it is whole body healing is a puzzle. And we put those pieces together to offer quantum healing beyond what the healthcare model is capable of doing. This is the why. Mm-hmm. So um, on, that, on that note, I know you have a myriad of services for every conceivable situation. Uh, you've got you know, singular sessions, you've got classes, you've got teaching. I mean, tell me mm-hmm. about some of the, um, some of the services that you, that you work uh, with uh, your clients. Yes. So um, I don't do as many single sessions these days anymore, mostly because I have seen that clients really need longer programs in order to really heal. And, and I don't want to just be that one, but anyways, so um, I have a, four or six month program called Emotional Abundance that is for adults. I have a program for kids and parents that is called um, Superpower for Kids. And I am really excited because I just launched and we're already in our Reconnect program, which is a 10 week hybrid program of individual sessions and group healing sessions with a myriad of tools that I created for the program with video modules and energy work and meditations and really just putting it all together. And we always talk about nutrition, lifestyle, exercise, attitude, and then obviously the quantum healing that happens in these sessions. And it's very catered to the individuals and what you need. A lot of people will come to me with hormone issue, hormone issues, um, if you know, for like menopause or anxiety or self-sabotaging behaviors. But overall, it's, people with sensitive nervous systems and that's my specialty and combining the the spiritual with the very tangible because here's the thing many people the majority of people probably not your listeners but the majority of people want to know the the how and they want tangible tools it's like you go to the doctor and you get a prescription they want the tangible tool and it's really in these individual sessions and the group healing sessions where a lot of the magic happens. But people have to take personal responsibility for their own healing. And that's where it's like I give them tools, I give them energy work, I give them goddess prayers, all sorts of different things depending on the program. And, and I hold the space to help them transform. And one of my gifts is really seeing to what is getting in people's way of moving from point A to point B. And that's where light language uh, comes in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. I, I mean, 
I, I can't believe we're, we're. I know you've got a. You've only got like ten more minutes before you have to go, mm-hmm. um, and I'm I'm looking at the switchboard and I don't see anybody has called in. So I'm going to keep you all to myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, when you when you say you have like um, groups and classes, mm-hmm. I'm assuming that that's virtual. Yes, it's everything right now is done on Zoom. I do have some individual sessions for people who come to my house, and and I have a setup here for that. But everything is done virtually. And I have a virtual self-led course, if people are so inclined, called The Reconnection. And all of that can be found on my website, www.holisticmedicalhealing.com. And I am on Instagram at holistic.medical.healing. But in answer to your question, yes, it's all virtual, which has been so fascinating because some people, they want that, that the human to human contact, which I'm a huge believer and, you know, of, um, especially Mm -hmm. with my background in energy work and body work and rehabilitation at the same time, even on zoom, the energy is, I mean, it's palpable. I have done sessions for people and I feel what they feel and they are feeling what I'm feeling. So it doesn't matter that it's on Zoom. Right. Well, you know, I mean, there is no limit to, um, you know, to thought forms, to energy that doesn't mm-hmm. require physical space and, and physical, um, you know, connection. Mm-hmm. It, can all, it can all happen just, you know, distantly. Right. So... Um, Gosh, is it, I, it, there was one more question uh, that I wanted to I wanted to ask you. So, what is the relationship between medical health, trauma, mm-hmm. brain health, anxiety, and star seeds having sensitive nervous system? There's a, there's like a, mm-hmm. there's a common thread in there. So, would you you know elaborate on that relationship? I'm thinking. Okay. Such I thought a good you were question. <laughs> you know, and I'm trying to make this, I sometimes have a challenge making it in like layman's terms sometimes. Um, and so I'm trying to, it's like I can see it happening in the brain. I think with star seeds. We have so many more connections that we are capable of. And I'm thinking connections in our nervous system, in our DNA, in our brain. And that it is firing in a variety of ways that is likely different than most people or other people, should I say. I think because of that, when trauma occurs, it shuts down a part, and this happens in everybody, it shuts down a part of your brain on the left side of your brain, especially with your, your, um, your verbalization centers. It's called Broca's area in your brain. And when trauma happens, and, this, and everybody, all your listener, listeners will relate to this because it's like you're sitting in the therapist's office, you're talking about something that is giving you a hard time, and you can't verbalize. It's because that, it, it, and that's 
your first sign that there was something traumatizing that happened. And that trauma word can be very triggering in itself, but it's like something happened to trigger your left side of the brain to close down, which then the only, even though talk therapists, you know, try to talk it out, the actual only way in is through the body. It is through the movement. It is through self-massage. It is through energetic techniques with your hands. It is through your breath. It is accessing that primal part of your brain, which is done from the right side, which I think star seeds are, have heightened awareness of mm-hmm. their body, okay. their energies, their sensitivities. Yeah, as you were describing that, it's like I'm thinking of these like energy channels in the body between the the brain and the and the and the heart and the uh, the you know right left like it's like a garden hose that gets a kink mm-hmm. in it, and that I mean it and literally you can't you can't get past that kink right without without some some help some training some guidance uh, coaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I'm just wondering now how many people are walking around carrying all kinds of of blockages like that from you know because trauma in I mean in my layman's um, perception a trauma can happen and then it mutates and go and it goes and affects. You know, it goes and hides someplace, and, and you may not be able to get from point A to point B because it's it's morphing, it's it's uh, you know disguising itself, kind of like you know um, sweeping it under the rug. Mm-hmm. So, and and you have the the expertise, the training, the natural gifts um, to not only locate those, but know what to do about it. Right. God, I am so glad that we met and we had our session last week and I was just, I was so impressed with you, your energy, and of course your chart. Your name is all over all of these things that you've been talking about. You are living and coming exactly from your natural state as a starseed with, you know, lots of starseed markings. And and I really hope that you'll come to Arkansas um, at one of our quests because uh, I your presence... Yeah, your presence will really make a difference. I would love to, and it would be such an honor. And this has been such an unexpected, oh, divine timing on so many different levels. And and I want to thank you for inviting me here. And and yes, it everything did happen in the exact perfect timing that it was supposed to. Also for you know for us, for your listeners, for you, for me, it's really a. Uh, this was orchestrated. Absolutely. I know exactly what you're talking about. So uh, one more time for our, our listeners, your website is holisticmedicalhealing.com. Yes. So, and I really encourage you, um, if you or someone you love um, is having a struggle, call Dahlia. <laughs> Connect with her. Go to the website. And, okay, so I know that you have to leave 
And um, I, I'm just really grateful that we, we were able to have this connection tonight. And I do uh, I do want to talk to you later um, offline, so to speak. We definitely not will. To, not tonight, but, you know, you know, when I get back from my trip, oh, yes. uh, yeah, I definitely got to get together. I know, I know. And so, I'm here to help and support in any way I can. And thank you so much for inviting me on. Oh, you're so welcome. I mean, you are you're like a, a a jewel that needs to be shared because there's a lot of star seeds that are having a lot of trauma. They're having even if they don't realize, you know, and it's like, oh, it's like you like if you eat something that is uh, bad for you, but you don't know it, and then it's in your body, and then it starts, you know, like mold, right. fungus, stuff like that. And you can go along for a long time and not realize that you're carrying that around. So, yeah, we got to cleanse it all. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, well, thank you. have a safe trip also. Thank you so much. I certainly will. And um, we will be back two weeks from tonight. And um, and then after that, then we do have our, our May Starseed Quest. So um, we will, I think we're going to be, I mean, I'm not doing math really well in my head right now, <laughs> but... We'll let you know um, on the next show when the following show will be. Okay. Well, Dahlia, thank you so much for being with us tonight. My pleasure. Thank you. You're so welcome. Have a good night. Thank you. And you as well. So thank you for tuning in, everybody. And until next time, remember to hold gratitude in your heart and give compassion instead of judgment. Good night, everyone. been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.